everybody, welcome to the Voxology Podcast. Tim Stafford, along with Mike Erie here. Uh, Timothy had quite the adventure over the last uh, several days. Your intention, from what I understand, was to see Miranda Lambert. That was true. Had in tickets. concert. No, no, hold on. Let's hold just on. talk. Hold on. Let's, hold on. Hold on. Let, let's talk about Miranda Lambert for a second, because... Uh-oh. I, I mean, I'm sure it is purely for her musical ability that you appreciate her and wanted to see her in person. Is that true or false, Mr. Stafford? It's true. I love her music. Okay. I have all of her records. You have all her records? It's true. Ni- nice. And uh, fantastic. And so you had tickets to go. Where was she uh, performing? She was performing in South Lake Tahoe. And we had tickets, my buddy which, and I. And which happens uh, to be on fire. It happens to be on fire. Well, it wasn't on fire until about the day, <laughs> pretty much until the, uh, two days before. We had a hotel for two nights. We we're going to have like a nice little guy's weekend. And yeah. it all got canceled. Oh, my goodness. But you um, but you stayed the two nights anyway, didn't you? No, because uh, that was in South Lake. Couldn't even get to South Lake. So oh, okay. we said, hey, we already got the time off. Let's still try to hang out and do something so we got a hotel in santa cruz and went down there to get away from the smoke and the heat and it was very nice oh that's good yeah so okay there's a redeeming part for some reason i thought you had stayed there in that that hotel anyway which sounds awful no yeah it was it's like the air is at a toxic hazardous level okay so so anyway, no Miranda Lambert, but good time with a good friend. No and, Miranda, good time with the bud. Okay, excellent. Um, so Tim, I uh, I want to agree with you about this. Um, well, except Miranda, what kind of music does she? She's country, right? She is. Okay, all right. So I don't really I don't really know much uh, about that whole scene. So I'm sorry you missed it. I'm sorry Tahoe you. is on fire. And that just is California brutal. is on fire. You know what else is on fire? The Voxology Podcast. Tim, hit that music. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Mike's. What were my what were mine? Tim has trouble times. I have Mike's miserable moment. Mike's Mike's miserable moment. So there are a lot of takes on this Texas abortion legislation. Oh, and and we've covered um, the topic a lot in earlier episodes. So I don't want to talk about it more, except to say um, of all the takes. I think I found one of the worst. I, so I want to I want to nominate the following take uh, for an award. If there is an award for worst tweet ever, um, this one has to be in the running. So because it's a public forum, this is Richard Hananiah. All right, in Sounds a public biblical in a in a yeah, exactly in a public forum said. Uh, uh, about the abortion legislation, what are the unintended consequences of allowing it? He said, quote, you can't screen for Down syndrome before about 10 weeks and something like 80% of Down syndrome fetuses are aborted. If red states ban abortion, 
we could see a world where they, where they have five times as many children with Down syndrome and similar numbers for other disabilities. They could be outliers in the developed world. There are already negative stereotypes about Americans in red states. One can only imagine it getting more extreme. Print wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what if they also ban genetic engineering and embryo selection while other places get ahead? So, ladies and gentlemen, um, I was not a fan of, of Richard, and I used, I might have used his, his shortened, abbreviated name um, a couple of times. Um, it, I mean, just to, just to clarify exactly what he's saying, oh no, there might be too many people with Down syndrome, and we already think Americans in these states are dumb. And, and, <laughs> and I was... Oh, Timothy, I was, you know, I try not to get super outraged because you, that's just a way of life these days. Right. But uh, it warmed my heart when all of these, uh, when, when this made the rounds, all of these parents who had children with Down syndrome just posted a picture of their beautiful kid just in yeah. response. Yeah. Um, and, and then a listener from our uh, community wrote maybe the greatest email in the history of the planet and the two events are not related at least causally i mean i don't think this person was writing in response to the nonsense that is, richard uh, is old is old dick like a well-followed <laughs> individual I, I don't know i'd never heard of him he is he is the president of of uh defense priorities something newsweek contributor so I mean, he but he's not. He doesn't have a check mark like myself. So, you know, he's very unimportant. He has twenty two thousand followers in his Substack. So, boom. Um, but I I was shocked. I was shocked and 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 not entirely surprised. I mean, obviously there there are loads of folks who think this way. Um, it, but this just this rubs up against my you know my familia. Yeah. And so I uh, I get a little territorial at that point. But this, uh, we have a, another friend named James who emailed in, and just with one sentence, and it just, it, it, like, it's, it, it was soothing to the wound. Um, he, he wrote in, I enjoy and am stimulated by your conversations, but, all caps, every time Seth is on, I meet God in the aching beauty that it is to experience someone unreservedly delighting in their own being. <laughs> That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And so, James, I want to say thank you because I, Seth and I had a six-hour car ride uh, up to Ohio this weekend, and I, it was just, um, uh, no, it wasn't just he and I, although he and I were in the front seat, which means it was he and I. <laughs> but um, my goodness, I looked at him with new eyes, and we had so much fun. And that is exactly one of the most beautiful ways to describe him I have ever considered. Will you read that last part again? Though? Yes. I meet God in the aching beauty that it is to experience someone unreservedly delighting in their own being. Yeah, that's great. And that's him. Yeah. That's only him. Like... Our six hours in the car were made up of the following four activities, all right? Eating, because you have to stop at Chick-fil-A. We, we were finishing <laughs> breakfast, and he was already asking about Chick-fil-A. 
Secondly, we play uh, the band Muse, M-U-S-E, loudly, and he rolls down all the windows in the truck and sticks his face out. <laughs> it has the music on like setting number 20, and yeah. you know, and, and just it's, it's like this big old sensory experience that he just loves. Yeah. The third activity we do is um, we talk about what we're eating next. Um, and so there's, he's constantly, um, so what comes after breakfast, lunch, what comes after lunch, dinner, what comes after dinner, dessert, what comes after dessert, breakfast, and then casually dropping in his favorites for each of those topics, <laughs> you know, slyly just, you know, dad, lunch, favorite Chick-fil-A. In case you didn't know. Yep. So lots of Chick-fil-A conversation. And then, and then he, um, <laughs> He sings along to musicals. So he has a little Spotify playlist that is just all these musicals. And he's into Alexander Hamilton. And so we're we're rapping some of that. And, and then he goes from there to um, you know, Frozen. And then from there he likes the he and I both like the German hardcore band Rammstein which I would not recommend um, unless you were translating their lyrics into English and realize there are some songs that are horrific. But Seth, we, we listened to the safe ones. And I mean, and Seth <laughs> loves it. Him, Seth imitating a, a deeply baritone uh, German singer who rolls his R's is hilarious. Let's just put it that way. So all that is to say, James, that was six hours of Seth delighting in his own being. Yeah. And I got to watch him and enjoy him that yeah. way, thanks to you. So what a gift. What a gift this community is. So yeah. thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, and, and thank you, too, uh, to a crew who signed up for Patreon this week. Um, again, it's just um, amazing and so humbling. I want to say thank you to Jonathan and Tammy and Michael and Andrea and Danny. And um, sincerely, we're we're... We are so freaking encouraged um, by the support of the community, and, and it's super helpful, and just thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Today, what we want to do is, um, and, and, and again, if you want to find out more about that, go to patreon.com, type in Voxology Podcast, and we'll come up. That? What is that? Those are tankers flying over. Oh, dude. They yeah, they're so, in the house. Tim announced there may be evacuations for him any at any moment. So there's a large fire right behind us. Yeah, which is awesome when you have two little kids and um, you know, <laughs> just great, just great. Tis Every, the season. Everything's fine. And we had a great conversation the other day about high school kids. Like, I feel like we should continually check in on mental health conversations because the. COVID's not ending. Yeah. And our whole state's on fire and the air quality is hazardous. And so like, for example, on Friday of last week, the football game was on and off then on. And then it got canceled like an hour before it was supposed to start. Totally. And the toll it's taking on the high school kids is really, really intense. Yeah. yeah. And their anxiety and depression is through the roof and they're, you know, I don't know. Not enough people are checking in on kids, but even just those of us that normally deal with depression and anxiety, it's been like a, yep. COVID has been like almost two years 
and it's yeah. not any better than it was a year ago. No. I, I want hitting. you to know, Tim, just Tennessee leads the nation. America leads the world. Yeah. Great we job. Are dark, dark, dark red color. I think Mongolia was the only other country that's worse than America. It's pretty gnarly, but I feel like people, some people are feeling pretty closed down or shut down oh. and maybe don't know that that's kind of normal or need people to talk to about it or whatever. I don't know. But I had a long conversation with a friend about it this weekend. It was like, you know, just feeling the weight that you don't realize is the weight of everything that's mm. going on right now, just hanging in the Texas stuff is not helping anything. And, uh, right. it's just right. one thing. And obviously I, we talked a little bit last episode, but. We have a lot of friends yeah, that are tied into the Afghanistan and Sacramento is a huge uh, place that takes Afghan refugees. So we're personally connected to it as well. And it's insane. Yeah. It's really, it's a lot all at once. Oh, barreling down on everybody. Yep. And not a, (laughs) and it doesn't seem like there are a lot of healthy church communities out there. Um, I don't know, but hopefully people can find like at least a small community of just people and just say, Hey, I, I feel underwater. Yeah. I'd like to, you know, yeah. let some of that, let some of that weight off. Yeah. Jeez. You know what? I don't know if we said this on the podcast or not, but there was a great exercise. We started doing it in our micro community. Uh, and my wife did it in the classroom. That's where we, she brought it to our community and it's hmm. two people would just sit and we would give them a prompt or a question to talk about usually related to whatever topic we were addressing and the people would sit face to face and one person would talk and the other person's not allowed to say a word. Mm. They can't like try to fix it. They can't, they can't repudiate it. They can't like comment on it. Nothing. That mm. person just gets to say whatever their response is to the question. And then when they're done, the other person gets to do the same thing without anyone speaking into it. And then you get up and you go to a different person and do a different question. One, it creates like that safe space for people to yeah. like, yeah. actually feel like they can talk about anything and not be judged. Mm. Mm. But it also like, I don't know. I think I feel like it helps people just be able to let stuff out that they're not letting out normally. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I just sidetracked us. I'm sorry, but no, no, this is what I was all swimming in my head, walking into the, into the office. There's just so much. And I don't know that everybody has a, has like a place to yeah, dump it or, sorted yeah. or whatever yeah oh tim that's not a digression at all and and i don't mean to suggest there aren't healthy churches that good lord there are we just don't hear about them right we just yeah i'm sure there are every time we talk about the church we get a million responses of like there yeah are these churches here and there, yeah and that's great yeah. but awesome find them Bless find them. them participate in them in different but, news though we do have um on so this is monday if you're listening to this the day it came out on Wednesday, Whoa. we should have our first U2 episode. Yeah. Now, now Timothy, there's been an outcry. There uh, has of been. So many people have been just demand. beating the door down. Yes. And um, from what I understand, it's it's you and Gombus yep. talking about U2 and theology. Yep. And it's called The Wanderer. Yep. And it and it and uh, it's probably an accurate description of the conversation. Would you agree? It's absolutely accurate. I think there's a few comments about that at the end. The first episode is kind of like introducing, you know, whatever. But 
Uh, I we love definitely it. had fun with it. Yeah, I think the wander will be a will be the title of this little B side project for other things as well too. So, yeah. So the wanderer for us because we're we Tim and I are rock and roll guys, um, and with some Miranda Lambert thrown in there. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just on Tim's side, just I just want to very clearly state that I win you over. Um, <laughs> just got a bar in your town now. Yeah, yeah. Every, I, I think. You should stay away until COVID <laughs> dies, though. Yeah, seriously. I think I think um, you haven't been. I haven't been yet to Nashville's bar scene, but evidently it is lively. It is quite lively. Yeah. That's what I've so seen. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, we'll go together. It'll be fantastic. We will go together. <laughs> um, go. So so Tim, let's talk about the Bible. All right. <laughs> let's do that. I have a thirty-page document. Uh-oh. That maybe we'll get through 38 pages. <laughs> I'm just showing Tim. It's one of 38. So this is... Here we go. So, yeah. So I'm going to try... Yeah, we'll try to get through 10. 10 pages of this stuff. I don't right. know. I don't know if we will. It doesn't matter. Um, we're not going anywhere. This is fantastic. And, and, I mean, I, I might be. True. True, Tim, if you just have to, yeah, eject, that's, that's fine. Um, there's a place for you in Tennessee. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. Um, we'll go see Miranda Lambert. Hannah has a comfy bed. And um, bring the kids. Just bring the whole family out. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, Nashville isn't on fire. Now, it's awful in other ways. <laughs> Everybody's um, got their thing. You know, I mean, we are leading the world in COVID, so well done. Um, okay, but but big but. point, big point. Back to the Bible. Oh, the overriding point we're making is the Bible is a divine and human word, and because it's divine, we use words like inspiration, infallibility, authority. We're going to look at those, um, and because it's human, we use words like genre and context and accommodation. And today we want to we want to. I mean, this is this is. Pretty boring because I want to overmake a point so dramatically that we're just gonna <laughs> because everyone everyone listening is gonna be like, well, yeah, but no one actually approaches the Bible this way. Yeah, and we did get some yeah, but from the last episode. I don't know if you saw them on Facebook. I did not. Ooh. ooh yeah, ooh, ooh. but yeah, and that and that's fair. I mean, again, we were oversimplifying, so there there's not you know. Um, there's tons of nuance, but all that is to say today, we want to talk about context. So if it's a human word, God accommodates God's self. Um, and one of the ways that God accommodates, um, is one scholar calls it the scandal of particularity, um, in one language, one culture, one point in time, God began to communicate. You know what I mean? In hmm. differently than just in creation and directly speaking to people or whatever, um, and uh, and so the the main the main point one point main point is that the Bible it, it it's not for us. Oh. It was it was for them, oh. and and it was clear to them, most likely, um, and so because it's not for us, we have work to do. <laughs> to to understand 
how they heard this thing. And so I'm going to overmake this point so unbelievably, um, uh, so unbelievably long. I'm going to, yeah, some, some <laughs> sort of English words combined there to just say I'm going to overmake this point. All right. <laughs> so we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about three things about, uh, about, um, we want to situate ourselves before the text. We want to situate the audience and we want to situate the text. All right. So we're talking about the fact that the Bible was not a word written to us. Right. Um, there are words in there for us, right. but it doesn't, it does, you don't, it doesn't drop from heaven saying, dear Mike in 21st century America, this is for you. You didn't now, get a Bible with your name embroidered in the gold letters? On by the, the finger of God, yes, I did. Yes, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I used to have that job. I did that. No way. At a Christian bookstore, yep. Oh, the gold leaf, man. That is... <laughs> yeah, yep. Where would we be without gold leaf? That was just so handy for so many things. I remember the uh, first one I did, I did it, I held it too long, and it just bled the name into a gold bar. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> but even better. I mean, that's, that's, that would be fitting for somebody, for sure. Yeah. Um, so the first thing we have to do is we have to situate ourselves. And so... What that means is that I engage in self-criticism, right? Self-assessment. I have to be aware of the dynamics that I bring to the text. And this obviously is difficult because the dynamics I bring to the text are everything that feels normal yeah. to me, right? I mean, a fish can't bring the dynamics of the awareness of water to its situation, right? Because it doesn't know that there's a thing like not water. So mm. it, it takes forever to realize, oh, there's such a thing as like non-individualistic, narcissistic, capitalistic uh, ways of, of reading and seeing the world, right? Yeah. And, and, and it's not that my lenses are bad. In some cases, they most certainly are. In other cases, they're, they're um, probably less so. But that they affect the way I come to the text, what I'm looking for, how I receive it. Because uh, the Bible is the kind of thing, because it's so ambiguous and because it's diverse, um, you can find whatever it is you want. And so how you come to the text is just as important as how the text comes to us. Hmm. And so one of the, one of the core practices of, of trying to read the text well is learning um, interpretive humility. <laughs> that, this, that I don't stand over this. I am not the master of this. It doesn't matter if I've heard sermons about this. Or interpretive I, I, humility. Yes, that I'm coming aware of my lenses. And we've talked about interpretive lenses all over the place, but I want to yeah. get a little more specific about that. So I have to, I I have to situate myself before the text. All right. So, uh, and, and, and this gets to the point where you just kind of do this automatically. And there are ways to sort of approach the text realizing, oh yeah, yeah, this is a word for communities and not individuals or whatever. But if I'm going to, if I'm going to sit before the text, um, there are at least three lenses and I'm talking just to my audience, um, my, mine, our audience of white um, uh, Americans, um, you know, male, um, right? There, there are certain privileges and situatednesses that I have to acknowledge before the text, yeah. or I, I don't come at it um, rightly. Right, so I have to I have to work on humility. So the first thing I have to do is I I I uh, as uh, an American Westerner, 
I read the text as an individual. Yeah. And this is the hardest thing to unlearn, right? Because these documents obviously are addressed to communities. And again, everyone's going to agree with that. Uh, of course, they're written to churches, right? Or written to God's people corporately. But <laughs> it's so tough in English when you just see the word you to not assume that that word you includes me. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? That's just, yeah. that's just how it works. And, um, and so it's just, uh, it is, it is so hard to, uh, to situate yourself realizing, oh, this isn't, this isn't written to me. And if it were, it wouldn't be written to me individually, it'd be written to me as part of a larger corporate whole. Oh, there's Seth trying to FaceTime us. So that's fantastic. I don't know if you... It's like, hey guys, you, couldn't be there in person, but... I know, seriously. <laughs> Oh my goodness, he is such a goofball. Um, yeah, yeah. For those of you uh, unaware, I am Sethless, dogless, wifeless, childless. Uh, they are in Ohio. I drove back to record with Mr. Stafford. That's so this, right. this is going to be long and, and wandering. We'll give the wanderer a run for its money. This is a wanderer preview. Yes. So um, nobody in the first century had Bibles. Um, they were stored as Torah scrolls in the synagogues. Um, most people were illiterate. Um, and so they had to be read to. So, so the New Testament documents, well, even the OT, I mean, it was meant to be read aloud and large portions were meant to be read aloud. And it was addressed to community. So when God said, hey, I tell you the truth, he's saying to the community. Or yeah. when he calls the, he calls, he calls, you know, uh, put on the whole armor of God. That's the command to the community. It's not just me trying to fight for inhabiting my salvation all alone. This is yeah. all to churches, right? All corporate language, except for a, a very couple of instances in the scriptures. And so f for Paul and the earliest followers of Jesus, they could not conceive of any other way of following Jesus except as communal. Uh, there's no, there's no me in Jesus. There's no Jesus loves me. There's no personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus has a relationship and formed a corporate people. I am part of that people. Therefore, this is what's true of that people. So that is what I can say is true of me. Hot takes. Hot takes, ladies and gentlemen. And so, uh, I mean, and, and we're, and this is so prevalent. We might do an episode just on how, um, how bad our takes are that I'm guilty of, uh, of just seeing the language in the Bible as addressed to me, right? As an individual, not as a, yeah. not as a community. Because the audiences, of course, and, and this, again, people, yeah, the, no surprise here, but um, we have to do so much work because the greatest danger in learning something new is thinking we already know it, right? So mm. we already know the Bible, and yeah, 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 we know, we know it's written by communities. Paul didn't, you know, the, the writers didn't write by themselves, right? They usually had somebody there with them. And then later on in New Testament times, there were whole communities that would write letters in the name of Paul or in the name of Peter, in the name of John. So this was a, these aren't just singular individuals writing to singular individuals. This is all corporate language. 
So in Western culture, no duh and no surprise, um, the individual is the most important unit, right? Our identity comes from distinguishing myself from my peers, right? And we call that differentiation and it's healthy um, and normal and it's true. And, and we're, we're going to talk about collectivist societies and we're not making a judgment as to which one is better or worse. They each have drawbacks and they yeah. each have pluses, but the Bible was written by collectivists for collectivists. It was not written by individuals <laughs> for individuals. And so you know, regardless of some of the downsides that we would see in collectivist culture, um, to understand the Bible, it, it, one of the you know indispensable parts of that is understanding collectivist culture. So for us, identity comes from distinguishing myself, right? It comes from self-fulfillment, yeah. where I identify myself in relationship to everybody else. I don't I resist identities that are conferred upon me. I'm on a quest for my own, for self-discovery, self-actualization, self-fulfillment, right? We, talk, we tell people all the time to avoid peer pressure and think for yourself, right? We value doubt. We value skepticism. Um, you know, we, we think it courageous if you make a decision that stands against the tide of public opinion on something. We look at, like, for instance, Hannah is at a school that requires uniforms, well, of course, that's a bad thing, um, right? Because it's impinging. I mean, the value judgment is that it's a bad thing because it's impinging on your right to self-expression. Right. Um, collectivist cultures are obviously very, very different. The most important entity is the community of which you are part, whether it's the family or the tribe or the country, and it's certainly not the individual. And preserving the harmony and the collective reputation of the community is what's most important, yeah. not finding your individual destiny. Um, and and uh, if your self-expression overrides or brings shame to the community, then that self-expression is overridden by community concerns, right? So it's just, mm -hmm. and again, it's a very different way of looking at the world. A person's identity doesn't come from how they define themselves it comes from the role they play in the community and again pluses or minuses to each this is definitely right? difficult for a enneagram four. Oh my goodness if we knew any it would be very difficult for them to process yes. this information Hi hypothetically you know the unicorns among us would have a, would have a tough time but so so to the eights uh my friend so to the eights so um and 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 even upward mobility, like your goal in a collectivist culture isn't to move beyond your community, but your goal, you know, what we uphold, like the American dream is escaping the confines of the poor community you were raised in. And now look at you, you know, running your own company or a famous athlete or whatever. Um, and obviously, I mean, the, the priorities come out in issues like dating, right? Um, arranged marriage obviously is not as you know, well practiced as it used to be. <laughs> but the the idea there, of course, was that the community knew better about who you would marry than you, right? As a twenty one year old or a twenty four year old or a thirty one year old. Yeah. That the community or a would have year old or a thirteen year old. Yes, exactly. Yeah, back then for sure. Right? The community would know better as opposed to us, that would be ridiculous because we see marriage as part of self fulfillment, self actualization, and so on, so on, so on. 
Now, there are glimpses we get in the Western world of collectivist mindsets, right? Uh, sports teams. One of the reasons why we have our kids play sports is because they learn often what's best for them isn't what's best for the team. And it's more important about what's best for the team than it's what's best for you. Um, and so, you know, it's fascinating. We wear the same uniform. We're, we have coaches that require us to do the same things the same way. Or like military, right? The first thing, I don't know if this is still true, but uh, the first thing uh, when you go to boot camp is you get your head shaved and you kind of look mm. alike. You all dress the same. Like there's something there. You're, you're part of a unit. You're no longer just a, a self-actualized individual operating alone. Yeah. So we do have glimpses of this and we know instinctively that unhindered self-expression, fulfillment, and desire isn't a good thing. Right? It's got to always be boundaried by communal concerns. Um, but collectivist cultures um, just take, I mean, even naming, right? So um, in the ancient Near East, you were named, you had your family name. Um, you know, J Jesus, uh, son of Joseph, was how Jesus would have been known. Or um, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, right? It was right. not just, hey, Jesus. Um <laughs> You know, or Julius Caesar, I mean, the Caesar name, right? I mean, you named differently um, even then. Now, you know, we still hold on to remnants of that. Yeah. But not the way that they did, not the way they defined themselves by their family or tribe um, or whatever. So, so we just have to beat up on the idea that the Bible is written to you for an individual devotional reading where you think about, oh, I am the apple of God's eye. I am the point of this text. And what does God have to say to me today? Yeah. That is not the most fruitful way to engage scripture. It was literally how we were raised. Absolutely. I have a quiet, <laughs> yes, I have a quiet time. I open my Bible because God is still speaking and I, I, you know, either have a devotional calendar or I have, you know, a verse tacked on to Jesus Calling or Oswald Chambers or whatever, right? And yeah. I break it into these nice <laughs> little chunks that, you know, encourage me sometimes, challenge me sometimes. And, and obviously God is so fantastic. God can use any of that yeah. and does, right? But um, And that's part it, of the accommodation, I would assume, in that lane of traffic. Sure, absolutely. And, and hallelujah. I, I yeah. do think God guides and directs in some way, shape, or form. But it's taken me years to understand that often the way God guides and directs is through wisdom, not through magic. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and so, you know, it's just, a, it's just a thing. A thing that we have to fight through. This so, opens a lot of questions, which I don't think you should answer right now. I don't want to derail you. But about, like, evangelism and about... Uh, missionary work, like leaving your community to go do things, or worship right, being right. A, a position where we get uh, our spiritual uplift, right through yes, the, yes. So I mean, just, interesting in that. Yes, so so Gombas has argued on our podcast that there is no command to evangelize outside of the command of the church, right? To evangelize, um, but we the, are evangelicals. The, well, yes, we are, and or worship. Worship is communal, so worship is justice. Yeah. And if it's not accompanied by justice, then it's not worship. So, yeah. I mean, it's like, <laughs> exactly, it redefines, and, and again, it's so bewildering. 
the, the goal in situating ourselves is just realizing I'm coming to the text as an individual looking uh, for individual blessing or something, right? So not only do I come as an individual, but I come as a narcissist. I come as an interpretive narcissist. Totally. Right? And so... That's so the opposite of the interpretive... Uh, humility. humility. Correct. Yeah. So we tend to read the Bible as if every promise, every blessing necessarily applies to us, each and every one of us individually. <laughs> yeah. Right? So um, the biblical us always includes me in, yeah, in, my totally. way of, in my way of thinking. And so, you know, and, and we've talked obviously about the way consumerism affects this, but, you know, we see churches as dispensers of religious goods and services in competition with other dispensers of religious goods and services for an increasingly small, you know, part of the market. Yeah. And, um, and we evaluate church, quote unquote, as event, an event we, um, we evaluate as we would any event. Did I like it? Was it good? Totally. Um, right? So I'm the center of all of that. And we even do this with the Bible, of course. We set ourselves up over the parts I like and the parts I don't, and you know, blah 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 blah. So, um, you know, years and years ago, uh, Houston was the last name. I don't, I don't remember the first name, but they did a study of a generation. I don't remember which one, and came up with the idea of moralistic therapeutic deism to describe moralistic therapeutic deism. All right. And have you not heard this? MTD? <laughs> you down with MTD? Yeah, you know me. The, the idea is that we want our God to make us good, happy, secure, and at peace and have a subjective feeling of well-being. Religious, so, so it's therapeutic in the sense that it's, it's oriented towards my individual well-being. Totally. It's moralism in that it, it teaches me to be a good person. And it's deistic in the sense that God isn't super demanding. He's sort of unattached to the world and um, sort of stands and watches, but doesn't engage a ton. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, I even remember I was at a, I overheard a, a preacher at a preaching conference say, listen, no one wants to hear bad news, only preach good news. <laughs> totally. Um, <laughs> And it's Obviously. like, right. And then you go read Jesus. I don't go to church to get bummed out. Uh, right. Uh, totally, totally. Oh, it's so true. And we've got to end on an up song. And I mean, it's just <laughs> idiocy. Shout uh, to the Lord. Um, you know, and, and, and the idea is we take communal scriptures and prioritize uh, and what communal scriptures mean to us is it applies to us individually. So right. when, when God says, I know the, ha the plans I have for you, yep. even though we know that's a plural, the you means you, Tim, plus yes. me, Mike, plus Bonnie, plus Kevin, plus, right? right? Yeah. As opposed to, no, it meant the, the ethnic community of Israel, which was currently in exile, and that promise was only given after the promise that God wouldn't be speaking for 70 years. It's so interesting because that not that one of the number one roadblocks for people in their faith is just, and I've said it a thousand times, like if God would just tell me what that plan is that he has for me, if he would just send me that email or, you know, whatever, I would do it. Yes. Obviously. And, there is, and there is no plan. 
No, it's, but, but it's such a but weight no, no. lifted off. No, me. I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you what the plan is. Um, you are a citizen in a new kingdom under a new lord, and the call of your life in whatever vocational familiar uh, familial capacity you find yourself in is to witness the reality of the kingdom of God found in the risen Jesus of Nazareth through the power of his spirit. Yeah. Right. Everybody there has you a go. calling. Yep. Yep. There, there's your calling right yep. there. Man, and that should be such a weight off. Like, totally. <laughs> you know what I mean? There is no mysterious God's will. And this right. is so different for me because I was so into the magic. Like, yeah. if I just discerned the right formula. Now, there are, I will say, though, at the same time, there are instances where, quote, coincidences have happened that point in a direction that I later look back on and say, huh, I wouldn't have chosen this direction without those coincidences. Yeah. And maybe they are just coincidences, but right. I, there's a deep-seated sort of suspicion that, ah, I don't know. Who knows? And but you so, don't make all your decisions based off of that no, idea. No. That's the difference. See, in, uh, in American Christianity, we teach our kids to listen for God's voice in themselves. Right. And Which God will often sound therapeutic. Confusing. And God will often sound, nothing, nothing wrong with therapy, but yeah. God's voice will often sound moral, therapeutic, and deistic. Or like Morgan Freeman. Oh, boy, we can hope so. <laughs> God just decided one day, I want someone who sounds like me. <laughs> and he created Morgan. But collectivist cultures will say, nope, listen to the wisdom of your elders. Right. Right? Go to the city gates and listen to how they talk and how they make decisions. And so it's just such a different thing. It's okay, such boomer. a different thing. So, yes. Okay, boomer. So, so not only are we individualists, we are a hermeneutical narcissists, right? We, <laughs> I mean, it's just absolutely like I am the center of the biblical world. Don't worry, we'll make some patches of these phrases so everyone can get them for their backpacks and their jackets. <laughs> it's just, it's, what does it mean that you're a hermeneutical narcissist? Well, oh. I'm glad you asked. Well, and, and here's the thing. It's so true of me. So I'm not indicting a soul except the, the, the culture I have inherited and the culture yeah. I perpetuated. And now I'm realizing, oh, that culture actually gets in the way of having a high view of the Bible. And that's all we're ironic? saying. It, it, don't, don't you think? think? The third way I am going to situate myself before the text is I realize that I am a centered, affluent member of a dominant military empire. Mm. Now, I used to think those words were liberal ways of reading the text, uh, but I've come to realize that... Um, the text itself calls people like me into the kingdom of God so that I might boast in my low status. And it calls the, the decentered, non-affluent people, marginalized people into the kingdom mm. and lifts them up so that they might boast of their high status. And so there's this great leveling that occurs, but I have to come to the text realizing that I am in the exact opposite, the exact antithetical position of every audience the Bible was written for. 
right? They were, if we're situating the text, we have to situate the audience. What was the audience? They were always on the margins, yeah. always, right? Um, not, I mean, Paul even says, what were many of you when you were called? You were not high status or of noble birth, you know? God chose the weak things, the shame, the strong, and even the Jewish people, right? They were always at the mercy of the more powerful empires around them. Yeah. Um, in, the, in, the, in the synagogue, of course, there were these Torah rituals. Uh, much was memorized. Um, and that the, the, the Bible Jesus had was the, what we call the Old Testament in a different order. Um, but, but there is no Bible apart from that for Jesus. In the New Testament, of course, um, the churches were, you know, 10 to 20 people that met in houses. Yeah. Um, as the New Testament era went on, there was more and more persecution. And it became more and more costly to be a follower of this Jesus. Um, the churches were usually made up of people of wildly different social statuses and ethnicities and backgrounds. Not many of them were literate. You would have to have the whole letter read to you. So you just wouldn't read a chapter of Romans. You'd read the, you'd have the whole letter of Romans read to you and explained to you by the person that carried it to you. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, so, so their setting is so markedly different from my setting. Yeah. And if I'm reading the Bible faithfully and not challenged um, to, to express new humanity in ways that don't center me um, or um, uh, allow me to sort of live in uh, affluence without any check or balance, then I'm not reading faithfully. Yeah. Is the Bible, I mean, man, the New Testament just is writ large with exhortations about uh, um, about what the common table does to each other. So the goal of this little exercise in situating myself is um, hermeneutical or interpretive humility. That when I come to the text, I, my goal is to make the text strange again. So here's John 3.16, a verse I've heard. It was probably one of the first verses I ever memorized. I've done you know sermons on it and listened to sermons on it. How do you make that strange? All right. So the first thing we do is we situate ourselves as Westerners, individualists, narcissists, and in some cases, you know, affluent members of um, Western society. We would be the potentially the Egypt or the Assyria or whatever of the day, even yeah. though our hearts are right and our framers, we're told, were you know uh, Christians. Um, that doesn't mean we're not capable of just utter awfulness. <laughs> and um, we just have to be, you know, we just have to be honest about what we're bringing to the table when we come to the text. Um, that is so, so unbelievably important. Yeah. And then as we situate the audience, we realize, oh, they're in the opposite setting. They weren't literate. They weren't just sitting and reading by themselves. These were meant to be heard. So one of the most fruitful things um that you can do is get a bible app and have it read to you as you're in the car and just hear the text read aloud by morgan freeman preferably <laughs> as god <laughs> all right so we situate ourselves situate the audience now we situate the text and we have to recognize something called hermeneutical distance that, Holy that man, we got some terms flying around here today. We got terms flying around, baby. Hermeneutical distance or hermeneutical horizons. Oh. Um, 
it's that this like is an old folks home this is oh that's funny <laughs> that's funny yeah cocoon was filmed at hermeneutical horizons very very you know strange 80s reference there um man we're at 48 minutes already sorry timothy <laughs> Dang it. I'm on page four of 10 of 38. <laughs> and I'm this even is, just... This new podcast is just called The Bible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should. We should just like have really creative readers just read the Sermon on the Mount. Um, okay, man, I'll try to get through this. I, I may have to resort to just reading some of it. Um, oh, there's so much. Okay. So let's, let's situate the text, all right? And the way we do this is by recognizing its context, that it was for them before it was for us. So we have to make the text strange again, right? And there are a bunch of ways you can do this. You can read in different translations. Um, you can read their Bible background commentaries or atlases, or there are all kinds of ways to kind of engage in this. But the biggest way you do that is, is just mindset. You have to take away the expectations we have of, of modern documents. And you have to, again, realize what we're holding is a thousands of years old document, that it's a library of all sorts of ancient types of writing in dialogue with other ancient types of writing, right? Yeah. That I, I do think is worth the work, no question about it. But, but we have to remove our modern expectations for what history means, what science means, what poetry means, what apocalyptic literature or prophecy means. I mean, all of that, we have to make the text strange again. And you can't do that by reading one verse at a time. You have to read in large chunks with great patience. And again, yeah. who has time for this, we say, yes, exactly, yes. And that's why we don't understand the Bible and it's such an offense. <laughs> um, now that's not true for all of us. All, some of us have actually read it and are offended by what we read. Yeah. But a lot of yes. us are offended by it and we just have never done the work of reading actually what it's saying. So both are true. Um, but, but we have to encounter the ancient world of the Bible again. So, so here's just a list of what separates us from the Bible. First, and no duh, time. Right? Um, you know, Bible three or 4,000 years old on the um, OT side, on the NT side, 2,000 years. Um, and, you know, for us, it's just like, oh yeah, it's just a straight linear line, not a problem. Um, but I imagine, you know, like I wrote an email once talking about the Lakers when we lived out in California. And it was something like, you know, man, the Lake Show was incredible. The Black Mamba strikes again. And imagine 2,000 years from now, right. <laughs> somebody just finds a scrap of paper that says, the lake show is on fire, um, the black mamba strikes again. Now, and for those you of you non-Laker so fans. of hell. Yes, yes. I mean, what, what, how much work would you have to do 2,000 <laughs> years from now to understand I'm talking about a basketball team in the NBA on fire is a way to talk about them being good and the Black Mamba is Kobe Bryant. Right. Right? I mean, none of that would be readily apparent unless it's the AIs that have taken over the world at that time and just have, you know, the entire store of human knowledge available at their fingertips. We don't know about that, but... Maybe the lake of fire in the Bible is actually talking about an old Middle Eastern basketball team. That's a great point. Could be. Great point. Here the point serpent. guard. Yes. 
The great serpent. Yes. Yeah, the black mamba. We just uncovered it. Man, the lake of fire. It was all right there. Oh, Timothy. Yeah, I love I love it when you're this chatty. It just makes me happy. So, so just, I mean, it's so dumb. But, I mean, just even take like my 16-year-old daughter, you know, and, and I found emails my wife and I had exchanged, you know, when we first started dating on AOL. Um, we had AOL addresses and it's just a different world. Even just within 20 years, there is a, a horizon she has to bridge to understand what we're talking about. A hermeneutical horizon. Yes, indeed. So, so obviously, and no doubt time separates us, but so does culture. Um, and culture is bigger than anything we could possibly imagine as a horizon. Culture is what you take for granted that doesn't have to be spoken. It doesn't, mm. no one has to tell us that as an individual, I'm the most important unit. That's, it's just in the water, right? Yeah. I mean, I remember, I remember I m once met an Olympic gymnast. She came to one of our church services. And I was like, hey, great to meet you. My daughter loves gymnastics. And as, as if, she had said this a million times in a monotone that bordered on robotic. She simply said, tell her that if she believes in herself and works hard, she can do, she can do and be anything. Right? I mean, and that is the water we live in. Yeah. And, and there are obviously pluses to seeing it that way. Absolutely. I want my daughter to think that. Yeah. Um, uh, but there's also just this sense of, oh, that's, that's part of the water. That's part we don't ever talk about or see. It's just assumed that that's the good of human life. Yeah. So I want to give an example of the way culture affects our understanding of the Bible. And to do that, um, I want to talk about patrons and clients in the ancient world. The patron-client relationship was, is the fact... In Rome, this was the way things got done. Patrons were people who um, gave gifts to, to people that were less socially advanced. Um, and clients were people who received those gifts, but were then indebted to the patron um, and, and would be required at a later time to respond with loyalty and allegiance um, and obedience, all right, to whatever favor the patron would ask. So, so, and, and I've read numbers of historical biographies. I mean, this is just the way Rome works. So if you're a farmer and you're on the edge of the city, you try to find yourself a patron, you know, somebody in the massive Roman bureaucracy who would favor you. And as a gift, they would advance your cause or they would smooth something over with the local trade guild or there was a magistrate who had it in for you and they'd end up bribing the magistrate. They gave favors. Yeah. And your job, so let's say that that middling, you know, executive in the Roman bureaucracy decided to run for an office. Your job then was to go into the public spaces of Rome and to announce your allegiance to this candidate and to recruit others to do the same. Right? Yeah. Just as this is just this is just a like dumb little example. Now, 
the the favors that the patron were given were called were called um, charis which is the word for grace so so the patron would grace a client with a favor the client would respond with something called pistis which we translate as faith mm. um and so a massive 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 like resounding scholarly work called paul and the gift arrived i don't know within the last 10 years and it's the idea that um that for paul grace demanded reciprocity now as a as a client you didn't earn your favors right you weren't given favors because you could pay them back because you couldn't or that you were worthy of them because you were socially important you weren't but what was required in response to grace was this kind of allegiance or obedience or public fidelity and so it's fascinating that in ephesians which was known the world over for its great marketplace the language of patron-client relationships, when Paul talks about grace and faith and not works, that's all borrowed hmm. from the way Rome worked. So when we hear God's favor, um, the way <coughs> Paul would have wanted us to have, have heard that is, oh, it's what happens when someone who is a social superior favors me and advances my causes socially. Yeah. And that I am to respond with faith, which doesn't mean passive, I get to do whatever I want, but rather meant I owe loyalty and allegiance. And my concern now is advancing the well-being and name and reputation of my patron. Yeah. Right? So, so again, now, I mean, I knew faith and grace from my various earliest, you know, exposure to Campus Crusade, now crew. You know, these were words that were always taught and used. Faith was sort of like what I believe in my heart. And yeah. grace was God's unmerited favor towards me. And there's a bit of truth in those. But that doesn't at all call forth the like robust picture that Paul is painting about how God relates to us. Grace doesn't make us passive, right? Grace doesn't, it's not just God sitting up there picking favorites. It's no, 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 God gives grace to everybody. Some respond with faith. To them, more grace is given. And so, and, and the grace in this instance isn't my personal well-being. The grace in this instance could impact my personal well-being, but it's primarily advancing in the world the patron's agenda, right? Mm -hmm. So when, when Jesus tells us to pray, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the posture of a client. Right? That's not only the posture of a client, but it's the posture of somebody who's a member of a family. And the, the head of the household, the father, the eldest male, um, had the responsibilities to sort of advance the name of the family as well. So it's fascinating that the Lord's Prayer begins, Our Father, in the heavens, hallowed be your name. Hmm. Right? That's family language. Yeah. Uh, household language. Right? So, so these, are, these aren't just theological terms robbed of like historical context. No, no, no. This, these actually meant things. So when we talk about the fact that we're separated by time, okay, 2,000 years, we really can't grasp that. But right. we're also separated by culture, which means 
There are unwritten scripts that are running in the background of New Testament conversations and Old Testament conversations that, we're, that we don't know about. And so whenever I come to a text and it's totally confusing to me, I'm assuming there's a piece I'm missing. Yeah. That's the humility. The humility doesn't sit there and say, what a freaking you know, joke this thing is. Right. The humility is, all right, I'm probably missing something here. You know yeah. what I mean? So the question that always comes up with all that kind of stuff is, you know, you get paid to do this. This is what you do. You pick at this, blah, blah, blah. Um, to have to, so that example you just gave from Ephesus, right? Uh, that you know, not something that's you read on the page. So to the average John and Jane out there reading the Bible that won't pick that up on a reading, is the encouragement just that that last part that like, or how they wouldn't even? I guess you wouldn't even know the grace and. You wouldn't even know that was referencing anything, so you would just read it flat. Of course. So how do we encourage people of to the like read it in community? Okay. And um, and that means now that community can be expressed a bunch of different ways. So I read in conversation with some scholars. Yeah. Um, I read not not personal conversation. I'm reading their work. Right. I'm reading who they read. And so, yes. And, and I'm, man, I, I sit next to real New Testament scholars and it just, you know, I'm not even, I'm just a, I'm just a speck of dust, you know? <laughs> um, so uh, I'm constantly channeling um, the thoughts and scholarship of other people. We all are. Just to pick up an English Bible is to benefit yeah. from the scholarship of others. So I'm reading in community with scholars. Uh, and not everyone, you're right, has the time, expertise, or intelligence to do that. And that's not a yeah. bad thing at all. Um, but so part of the job, I think, of those of us who do uh, at least have the time is to help curate like resources for people so they don't have to just go out and go to their local library and say, hey, I'd love everything you have on biblical interpretation, right? Um, <laughs> And that's the great gift of Gombas or the Bible Project or some, some scholars like Scott McKnight um, who write very accessibly for people um, who don't have the time or, you know, the background to really appreciate all that's going on. Yeah. Um, but even those of us who, right, there's, there's, still, there's still, no matter, for some people, making the Bible strange is natural because right. it is so freaking odd for others of us. <laughs> and this is who I'm targeting with this particular comment for others of us. It's something we've heard read or heard about, um, our whole lives. Yeah. And, um, the problem is we've ceased, we've ceased thinking it strange. So the goal of introdu introducing like patron client stuff, isn't to say, Hey, you need experts to interpret this for you. The goal is to say, hey, maybe we don't know it as well as we do, yeah. as we think we do. Therefore, let us band together in communities and study it together. Yeah, I think that's a great encouragement. Both those, those are the twofold. Like one, assume <laughs> hermeneutical humility <laughs> and say, you don't, let's, let's just assume that you don't know everything as you're going into this. Yeah. Despite yeah. what you may have been told growing up. 
Right. And then try to crack that nut in a group of people together. Seems like a good, a good like foundational yeah. stand, like starting point to come from. Yes. And part of the community can be spent listening to podcasts, reading resources, sure. hearing teachers. Um, absolutely. There are people who are, are incredible uh, disciples of Jesus and just top-rate scholars. And even they are going to miss on some things. And so yeah. our trust isn't in the interpretations of the Bible that we have. The trust, of course, is in Jesus and what he's doing in and among us. And we're going to talk, we're going to answer the most important question um, down the road, which is, so how do you know you're reading it well? Right. <laughs> because people that would, would say, yeah, women aren't allowed to teach, would give this same list. I was people, just going to say, if people your that reading would say, causes you to persecute other people, then... Yeah. So, so we're going to talk about that. Because, yeah. because I could give you the same list... Um, and come up with the idea that there, there's the rapture's coming, and um, you know we're all going to be saved by you know 2025. Um, we could use that same approach to to argue for slavery, to oppress women, to I mean, there's all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, so none of this guarantees that we read it well. Yeah. This is just all right. How do we faithfully attend to a text we think we know? This is the work. If we were all reading it for the first time and had a rabbi sitting around us explaining what this means, that would be amazing. But it's like yeah. once you watch Lord of the Rings, you can't unsee the fact you've already seen it. Right. Totally. So, so you have to, you do, you do things if you're watching a movie multiple times <laughs> to kind of keep it fresh. <laughs> totally. You know, what was, it was an interesting example for that is while we were driving out to Santa Cruz, um, the car we were driving didn't have a Bluetooth or any way to use phones. So we had to take an old CD binder and, um, some of the CDs oh, that were in there were the yes. Lord, of Rings, Lord of the Rings on CD. Yes. And I was like, oh, let's throw this in. He's like, ah, I don't think you want to do that. Like, I bought that. I was all excited. I was going on a really long road trip. And I sat down and put it in. And Gandalf came on. And you expect this voice, like, you know, Ian McKellen. Yeah, yeah, But it's yes. like, oh, Frodo. <laughs> and he's like, ah, I couldn't do it. <laughs> but if that's the interpretation that you grew up with, <laughs> it dramatically yes. changes Frodo or uh, Gandalf yes. for you. Totally. Audible, like, audible books for me are so hard to listen to because I'm yeah. a reader. Yeah. And so it's like, oh. Especially them you're familiar with. If you hear someone else putting totally. in a voice or saying totally. a name a certain way that you had read it, you're like, what yep. are you nope. doing? Nope, that's not true. So yeah, so so the goal, I mean, and, and Tim, you're so right to keep bringing this up. The goal isn't to just sit and be defeated by this. The goal is to simply say, hey, there's, there is a distance here. So, and if you're thinking, well, then, then why even invest in it? All right, well, just take Mark. Take Mark. We've said this before. Yeah. Read the book of Mark and just have a piece of paper next to you and write down every question. Yeah. That's all. I like that. Let's just let's just start start with Jesus, and then you'll go like, well, okay, John the Baptist. Why was he called the Baptist? Why why was it a big deal that he was beheaded? Why why is he why is he what's a baptism of repentance? What is that? What's right. the kingdom of God that Jesus preaches? Is this his message? Um, right? I mean, you just start there and then you bring those questions to someone who, um, 
you know, has access to some of the resources and you start just working through them. And well, gradually- I love that. I love the idea that a disciple is a lifelong learner. And we think that this is a text that is commenting on what we proclaim is like how the universe exists. Right. So to be a student of that would take an immense amount of work, but it would be, it would be researching and learning about what we think is like the most important thing, like, or just like the fabric of everything. Yes. And, and there are people who are calling that deconstruction, which is not the right name. This is discipleship. Now there is deconstruction where I've been hurt or the Bible's been used, or for reasons that are internal to me, I, I'm just done. Yeah. And I can find all the ammo I need, you know? Yep. Um, there, so there is such a thing. But this thing isn't deconstruction. This is um, trying over the course of a whole life to faithfully attend to and inhabit um, readings of scripture that produce the kind of fruit, the kind of communities that Paul describes when he's writing in Peter, when they're writing to the church. And and so built into that whole thing is a a long, patient slog (laughs) where there are false steps and errors and mistakes and between the word, the spirit, and the community get corrected over time. Just like life. Shocker, (laughs) right? And so so for us, we receive this and, and then again, this is something we keep saying, but that's part of why the mess exists, hmm. that this is a messy human text. Why? Well, A, because God always wanted to do everything in partnership with the image bearers he made. B, um, this is, I was just reading Pete Enns again uh, this week. I've been reading, and, and that's why, by the way, let me just say this. I read really wacky people when I read about the Bible. Not that Pete Enns is, although he would be considered by some to be very liberal. Um, but, but people like that open up, oh, that, there's a strain of scholarship that is like, oh, yeah, the, of course the exodus didn't happen. Or, no, no, no. Um, yeah, of course the exodus didn't happen because we have no archaeological anything. I mean, it's not even mentioned in Egyptian writings that they owned Hebrews ever. Right, you'd think they'd write about this great loss they had to these slaves at the Red Sea, and there's just nothing. And you're like, oh, okay, that feels really sort of destabilizing. Right, what do I do with this? Well, the difference between deconstructing and this sort of discipleship is to say, okay, my my salvation and view of Jesus isn't affected by this, so I'm going to sit in a place of curiosity and say, huh. And, and the question I personally go back to is, well, what, what did Jesus think? What right. did Jesus think about this? And as far as I can tell, you know, Passover was reenacting something that really happened. There was a, was a national event that Israel was celebrating. So, okay, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a Red Sea or the Reed Sea. I don't know if it was a lot of water or a little water. <laughs> and uh, my faith doesn't depend upon a perfect Bible. Um. I sit and I want to inhabit the world of the Bible the way that Jesus did. And yeah. so, you know, for me, that's not deconstructing. That's simply what discipleship, discipleship. Yeah. yeah, turns totally. out to be. And so, you know, I mean, there are, there are writers that I'm being constantly exposed to that are like, whoa, 
I had no idea. Like this this patron client thing. I'd read it years ago. Yeah. And then this book comes out that sort of oh does it's it's and and to see all the scholars that I sort of trust recognize the bombshell that this book is on grace and it resonates with the whole patron client thing you're like okay so there's something here yeah um as far as i don't know you know 100 years from now or 50 years from now no no those idiots were wrong great totally <laughs> um but that's just the ongoing work of discipleship that's not anything they were, else they were just servants of the black mamba <laughs> So we found good. it in the e-text they were sending oh, back and forth. The e-texts <laughs> from this from this Timothy Stafford <laughs> person. What kind of name is that? Oh yeah, yeah. Um. Oh, that's so good. All right. Well, we're on page five, and we're cutting it right here. <laughs> that's pretty good. So one sixth of the way through. Hey, why not? <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, all thirty-eight aren't going to make it on there. Let's just put it that way. But. It's it's an outline where we're going. So we're gonna we're gonna continue to do context, and context is gonna take us into genre. Um, and once we're in genre, I don't know how specific to get because we had Gombas go through the you know sort of the the whole Bible. <laughs> we'll we'll do some genre work just to you know uh, particularly around the book of Revelation as a very good example. Yeah. Um, and then we will go to the divine side of the equation which is uh, issues like authority, uh, inspiration, fallibility, so on, and talk about those things. And then lastly, and maybe we shouldn't be last, but the idea is, okay, so how, how do we know if we're reading it well, even if we're not reading it perfectly? Because right. I don't think we can read it perfectly. I think built yeah. in, and this is why I was quoting Enns, by the way. Enns, his, his, um, his book, How the Bible Actually Works, um, Parts of it, love. Parts of it, I'm like, mm. not yeah. that I'm a scholar like him, but there are parts that I'm just like, I don't know that I buy that. But his big point is um, that the Bible comes to us the way that it does in order to provoke wisdom. And wisdom is applying the story that we're inhabiting in, in circumstances that were unforeseen. Hmm. Um, and uh, there's a reason why it's not a defined rule book. There's a reason why parts of it contradicts other parts of it because it was written in different settings and different circumstances. And it's designed to provoke you into a posture of humble discernment, right? right. Where we sit as a community and say, okay, here's a situation we, we, we don't see directly addressed. What does it mean to live in this world and inhabit this story at this time? Yeah. Right? I mean, that's a yeah. whole different thing than just Very cobbling much. together a bunch of Bible verses and saying, well, here's it. Here it is. Yeah. So that's what we want to get to. We want to yeah. get to that sort of posture with each other. I like that. I think that sounds healthy. Well, as a narcissist, I'm glad you like it, Timothy. That was the goal. <laughs> no, but, but it, again, this is all, Yeah. This is all stuff that, like Richard Hayes. Well, I don't, I'm not going to give it away yet. I'm not going to give it away. Well, nope. and it just makes so much sense. Everything you can't just, tap me. It makes sense with the idea of like how confusing it could be to have a, have a directive that tells you you need to sit and read the Bible by yourself in the morning to look for divine inspiration. Right. And, and that may come from a, a you know, a whatever for one verse. or It's just like I, you can see how... 
confusing that is and then how you'd have the question of like well how am i supposed to read the bible i don't have the time to do the work like right because it comes from that lineage of like yeah do it on your own sit by yourself god will speak to you if you're not hearing him you're doing something incorrect yes oh that's so that's so insightful tim say more about that because that's exactly right so what i hear you saying is the reason we feel overwhelmed by the strangeness of the Bible is we're still approaching it from a quest of information and understanding and mastery over it. In a, in a solo position, most of the in, time. In a, yes, in a position where I have to understand it myself for me. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Ooh, that's so good. As opposed to, man, there's, there are lots of parts I don't understand. Uh, someone famous said this, but it's the parts I do understand that scare me. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to say Mark Twain, but I don't know that that's true. Well, you can see how we get to the my freedom, my freedom that we see so much in the church now. And like this, it's so, there's just a solitary individual mindset that just has, you can see the trajectory that Absol- leads to. Absolutely. It's sad and scary and gross. And that's why it matters that these big cultural movements, that we look at them and listen to them. Yes. Um, Karl Barth or Barth. I, I'm going to go with Bart, um, which sounds way cooler. I'm sure his, the German pronunciation is cooler still. Um, I remember reading a quote that was along the lines of, the church must listen to its heretics because they will point out where we are wrong. I like that. And, and so I think, and Gombus talks a lot about this on his, the early episodes of his podcast, that like we don't have to be threatened by CRT or feminist readings of the Bible or whatever, because um, we we are people who want um, to uh, to to listen to where the scriptures have been used in ways that don't bring life um, or that have uh, caused harm or you know. That don't that don't faithfully sort of create communities that right. that inhabit the gospel and the kingdom, yeah. right? So you're looking at the fruit of our discipleship right now, um, in its consumeristic, narcissistic, individualistic power yeah. terms, right? My rights, my freedoms override every other thing, yeah. and you can't, you know, if you mess with my right to self-expression and freedom of expression. Then I want to introduce you to my Second Amendment right to you know bear arms, which is a literal quote. Yes, from yes, a yes, yes. Well, we'll use pastor in a very loose sense. Um, so, so all that is to say, uh, Tim, I think you're really onto something. And and where I think we're going to end up is for words like inspiration and authority. Those are a, relational terms. Those aren't informational terms. Yeah. So, so when I think of authority, I think of, well, the plumber knows more about the plumbing than I do. Right. And so my relationship is one of, you know, student to master. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a tradesman or tradeswoman, and I don't know their trade, and so they can charge anything and say anything, and I won't know the difference. So their authority comes from that imbalance. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, or student to teacher or, you know, and then their coercive authority like the police or military. 
Um, so I think the Bible is, is sitting more along the lines of relational community, a relational authority. Man, I don't want to, yeah. Anyway, um, but, but it's exactly to where you're going. It holds a relational authority over people who approach it in a certain kind of way. Yeah. You know? Yeah, dog. That's, that's how it's meant to be used. Yeah. Anyway. All right. We're done. We're out. We're done. We're finished. We're Finite. See you later. Yep. 120. Dog on it. Tim, <laughs> very verbose today. Very, very verbose. You know, I got a lot of things to say, Michael. <laughs> got a lot of things on my mind. All right. Ladies and gentlemen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And my word, and may he give us peace Please. In, these, in these days. Yes, yes, yes. As always, we are delighted to hear from you. Thanks so much for being a part of our community. Until next time. Thank you, thank you, thank you, for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on instagram at voxology thank you thank you thank you for walking the long road with us